curious minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. Before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Cap Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And this episode is sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And Ginger is a tarot reader, and you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. So if you're looking for some insight or need some type of coaching on a particular situation, I highly recommend her, and you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our two guests for today are Dan and George, and they have uh, been dousing for a long time, and they also have used dousing to unravel a story of abduction. And it sounds like this is going to be a very fascinating episode. Thank you guys for coming on today. Great to be here. Glad to be here. So, let's start from the beginning. How, how did you guys start dousing? I, I, I doused too, so I'm familiar with it. Um, and, like, like how, how did you start? And, and how did you continue to, to grow in that practice? Uh, I started dowsing about uh, around uh, 2000, 2000, 2002, somewhere in there. Uh, for some reason, at that time, I felt a... Uh, an extremely powerful urge to go find missing children. It was it was an overpowering urge, something that uh, almost a command. And uh, not being a police officer or a trained detective or you know a trained investigator, I, I struggled to find a way to do that. And it finally occurred to me that I'd always heard that there was a psychic trend in my family, so I said I will try this psychic stuff. So pretty much out of the blue, I started hanging around. Uh, you know, psychics and psychic bookstores and things like that. Mm. And eventually bumped into someone who was uh, working the pendulum. And uh, I said, you know, I can do that. And I picked it up and I've been uh, self-taught since then. Mm. And from that point on, I got involved uh, and still involved uh, slightly in uh, finding missing persons. And that led into uh, working with uh, some other friends on uh, making uh, making communication with the spirit world and then uh, did a couple of books on that and then that led into doing the book called the paranormal pendulum dowsing the deceased on uh, how to how to use the pendulum dowsing to communicate with the spirit world and that's where george came in because he was a primary researcher with me on that book uh that led to a now, the second book, The Paranormal Pendulum 2, which is all the information we learned during that uh, that research. And then George and I realized we had a fascinating story in this, uh, the, uh, the abduction adventures of uh, Lindsay Higgins. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we decided to write, you know, The Paranormal Pendulum 3, The Abduction of Lindsay Higgins. Fascinating. Yeah, and Lindsay came to us through uh, through, through George. Hmm. 
And how about you, George? Um, well, watching Dan do, do his remarkable mm-hmm. pendulum work through the years, I was paying close attention. Well, there's, there's something here. And um, when Dan was in town researching, in town I means Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, researching for his first paranormal pendulum book, uh, we were at um, the oldest cemetery in Shreveport, and he was going to several prominent uh, uh, graves, if you will, and asking some questions. And uh, as I was watching him do this with the pendulum, I would get the answer before the pendulum started moving. And I said, well, wait a minute, what was that? And that happened over and over and over again. And just kind of reaffirmed to me that there is genuine information being uh, accumulated with this particular procedure. And that was around the time I went ahead and got a pendulum. said, all right, let's go. And it, it did. Hmm. So how does the pendulum work exactly? Is it work like through um, the muscles of the human body, which makes the pendulum move? Does it move through consciousness? Or is it just moving on its own like a Ouija board? No, it's uh, basically a pendulum. For the people who are, are listening, it's the pendulum is nothing more than a weight on a string. Mm-hmm. It's a tool. There, there's absolutely nothing magic or spiritual or metaphysical about about the weight on the string. Again, it's just a tool. But what happens is uh, when you're you're holding it up, your conscious mind focuses on the uh, on the weight. Uh, with your conscious mind focusing on that, your subconscious mind is freed up. And your subconscious can make contact with, uh, with the, your higher self, uh, in our case, with, uh, with spirits, with ETs, with, I guess, what people would call the Akashic Records, the, the information that is out there. Right. And that can relay it back down through the subconscious. Uh, to, to address the other thing, yeah, the, uh, the movement is done by the, by the muscles in your fingers. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it's not done by spirits. It's not done by uh, your subconscious. It's actually done by the muscles in your fingers, but it's done at the direction of your subconscious mind. Okay. So it's similar to psychic work where the psychics will, like, like, it's, like for example, a clairvoyant might rely on um, different visual symbols or whatever. Uh, with the pendulum, it's sort of the same technique, but what we're using is the motion of the pendulum for the interpretation. Well, it's exactly like the tarot cards or gazing mm-hmm. at a crystal ball. You're using you're using something to tie up your conscious mind, so your your subconscious mind can then uh, quote read the information in the crystal ball in the tarot cards or in the movement of the pendulum. Interesting. So. Um, when you were doing this, like, for example, in the cemeteries, was was this working like as a seance? Did you have other people there? Was everybody using a pendulum? Was one person using a pendulum? Any what description? But I, I just described, it was just me and Dan in the cemetery. And he, was, mm-hmm. he had the pendulum. I was just observing and was just intrigued by getting the same information mentally that was being transmitted to Dan. So that uh, it, it really reaffirmed that, okay, there's some genuineness to what Dan's doing. I mean, I mean, I knew about his uh, missing people work and particularly his map dowsing was most incredible. But just to see this in action at a graveyard, it was a nice environment. So it was uh, right. kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, in some cases, we had uh, as many as three pendulum dowsers working at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it was me. Sometimes it was uh, after George picked up the, the technique, it was me and George. Hmm. Um, have you ever worked with any other type of psychics? Like one of the things I've I've done myself is remote viewing, and map dowsing can also be used in the remote viewing program too. 
Yeah. Well, I've used map dowsing extensively in uh, looking for missing persons. Mm-hmm. Extensively. It, it's extremely helpful. The, the police like it. Um, because, you know, unlike most psychics, you know, if, if they get an impression, they can only say this person is, say, for example, on the dirt road near a tree, near a river. There's a bridge nearby. You know, the, the information may be extremely accurate, but it, it is absolutely no use because there are so many places in the world that fit that description. With pendulum dowsing, using uh, topological maps or even Google Earth, you can get down to the location uh you know, down to uh, GPS coordinates. When mm-hmm. I was doing my work, I always gave GPS coordinates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the police or the, the FBI or the gendarmes or the Cabinieri, whoever was doing the work, they went to the location pretty quickly. They could, If I was wrong, they could tell that there was nothing there. If I was right, they were right on the location. What was your uh, success uh, rate on that? I never figured the percentages. Um mm-hmm. When I was really, really, really good, and I'll be the first to admit, when I was off, I was extremely off. Right. But uh, I've done a lot of good work. Hmm. A um, lot of us. I wrote another book called "They Are Not Yet They Are Not Yet Lost," mm-hmm. and that details a lot of the cases that people are interested in in finding out how uh, psychic detectives work. Detectives work. Hmm. So. Tell me the story about Lindsay in the uh, extraterrestrial. I'm really fascinated how you obviously have met Lindsay and, and, and how you guys worked with Lindsay to talk to unravel this abduction um, scenario. Well, this is the way it began. I was minding my own business one night in Bossier City, Louisiana. It's across the river from Shreveport. And- uh, phone rang, house phone rang, and normally I don't answer the house phone because almost always junk calls, but I had an inkling, ah, yeah, let's pick up the phone. Might be something interesting. I picked it up and a uh, female voice said, is this George Sewell? And I said, yes. And then she gave a name that said, well, this person said I should call you and we could talk. And I recognized the, her, her friend, um, who was a mutual acquaintance of mine. And so Lindsay began, um, Nearly two hours of descriptions about her life, beginning at around age two and a half or three, and coming on up to the present time that was just chock-a-block full of encounters with spirits as a child. Uh, She had a spirit friend, a number of what we would call abductions, although I don't particularly like that phrase, uh, as a child, and entities that she would see growing up from that the particular house in which she lived, and we have a lot of fun information on that. Um, but at the end of the conversation, what really struck me and led validity to, to what Lindsay was saying was back in the late 80s and early 1990s, I was with the Mutual UFO Network as the assistant state director for Louisiana, and I had an opportunity to meet with uh, a number of folks in northwest Louisiana who had had some sort of encounter or other sighting or whatnot. And word kind of got out, because I had a counseling background, uh, that I was a uh, an honest, interested, and confidential person who they could tell their story to. And that's mostly what they wanted. They really weren't interested in proving what it was or whatever. They wanted to talk to talk to someone about what had occurred. And... As I was able to relate to Lindsay at the end of the phone call is just about everything that uh, you have described. I have heard from other people in different times in different places. 
And that was a great reassurance to her because what led to that call was she reached a point where she'd been sitting on all this all her life. I mean, really no one to talk to. Her family just, uh-uh, we're not going to go there. Um, she, um, there just was really no one to, to talk to. Uh, but she had to do something. So she was listening to a podcast. I don't recall which one. And the podcast had information about a Los Angeles production company that was seeking true stories of lifetime paranormal events uh, for a possible uh, series in an upcoming Netflix series. And Lindsay kind of had the impression that's that's the way I'm going to do it. That's the way I'm going to come out. That's the way I'm going to um, be free of, of having to sit on all this. So she wrote up her her story. And after some hesitation, eventually, right as the deadline approached, hit send, uh, out it went. And 14 hours later, she's got a call from one of the producers saying, we need to set up a formal interview. So they had set up a formal Skype interview with the production company director and the, the originator of the uh, series. And once they heard Lindsay's story, it was, okay, you're in. No question about it. We're going to do this. And then they asked, do you know anybody else in the shreveport Bossier area who've had similar experiences or who was aware of these type things? And that's what prompted her to call her friend who gave her my name and number as someone who had had some interest as well as some study. Uh, so that's how I was acquainted with Lindsay. Uh, did not meet her until we were both in California uh, on set for the production of the Netflix series of Haunted, season one, episode five. And that was Lindsay's episode. Ooh. And uh, this was also around the time when Dan was uh, in in town a couple of times a year when we'd be doing research for his second paranormal pendulum book. And so I uh, introduced uh, Lindsay and her husband, Tim, to Dan. We all got along just, just really nice. And Dan and I just kind of, duh, <laughs> what better tool to find out what is going on with Lindsay Higgins than the pendulum? Um, so we kind of, decided then and there, let's let's take a serious look at Lindsay's life and what's going on and see if we can get some explanations or at least some information about who's doing it, how come, how long has it been going on and whatnot. And we spent two years gathering that information and the result is Paranormal Pendulum 3. Interesting. You know, I've interviewed uh, maybe 50 experiencers or so and yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of commonalities in these experiences that I have heard. And almost all of them start with type, some type of paranormal experience in childhood. Um, what, what did you find out about that? Like, like, why do these people have these paranormal experiences in childhood? And how does that lead up to, like, later on having extraterrestrial experiences? Let me let me start with that one. Uh, one of the things your audience will find very interesting about this particular topic is that the Lindsay Higgins abduction case involves uh, not only the abduction, but uh, also UFO contacts, also reincarnation. It also involves contact with the spirit world, and it also involves contact with the higher evolved, very highly evolved spiritual entities. Uh, in a nutshell, her story begins about 6,000 years ago. This is what we've, we've, we've uh, uncovered over several sessions. But 6,000 years ago, the spirit that, the, that is now Lindsay Higgins made a contract with a very highly evolved uh, 
entity, very highly evolved on a very high spiritual level. And the contract was that she would reincarnate throughout time with the goal of, uh, you know, a little bit at a time, uh, improving the human condition. And she would continue to reincarnate in her own way as she could during those incarnations, you know, help us all out a little bit. And, uh, when George and I got involved in her reincarnation angle, we discovered that uh, her current her current incarnation is uh, the incarnation of someone who had passed on in the 18 well in the in the 19th century had lived in the same area, Shreveport, Bossier City, and she is the reincarnation of uh, a woman named Sally Mirth Woodward Woodruff. Uh, her dad, her current dad, is also the incarnation uh, reincarnation of uh, Sally's father, W.D. Woodworth, and her sister, Melissa, is now, is also the reincarnation of uh, her sister back then. So, you know, this story involves, it, it's extremely complex, and it is just totally fascinating. And the more we get into it, the more we're learning about it. And that was a very interesting angle once we realized that, uh, well, we were led to the W.D. Woodworth family plot, if you will, at um at the Oakland Cemetery in Shreveport, um, as we were doing a little bit of detective work to find out who was, who, what spirit was actually uh, Lindsay's little invisible friend when she was very, very young. And the purpose, I think, was to lead us to the W.D. Woodworth family plot so we could um, use the pendulum there and made an acquaintance with W.D. He's a quite, a, quite an interesting spirit, to put it mildly. But then we learned that uh, that particular situation with WD and his two daughters. Um, they all reincarnated into the 20th century in the same roles. And that uh, much of what Lindsay and her sister have experienced in this life, they also experienced very similar in their previous incarnations of in the early, very early 20th century, actually. And at one of the sessions, uh, wherein Lindsay's sister, Melissa, was in town, she sat in on it. And well, she was between the sessions. She was just commenting, but it uh, wasn't that long ago that you know, well, she had an appendectomy, and oh gosh, when that, of course, that wait a minute, so I go back to my study, go through my little newspaper clipping file, pull out a newspaper clipping I found on newspaper.com regarding Melissa's previous incarnation as Mabel. And the article was telling about Mabel returning to Louisiana from California, where she lived, uh, specifically uh, to have an appendectomy, and she was recovering at the family home. And we showed that to Melissa, and of course, it was, oh gosh. <laughs> so there are a lot of parallels uh, between the two incarnations uh, that we found interesting. And a, a, a most interesting element was we would, um, Dan and I and Lindsay, just the three of us, we would be um, in a location where Lindsay had had uh, a major experience and we would be speaking to Lindsay, asking the pendulum, but at the same time with the pendulum, we would also be conversing with the spirit of Sally Murph Woodworth at the same time. So we had both Lindsay here and Lindsay previously on a different realm uh, having the same conversation. That was, that was a Kind of an eye opener the first time we realized that that happened, and it happened frequently after that. We would, Joe, her father, would sit in, and we would be having lively conversations with WD, and Joe would be questioning 
WD. So uh, there's a lot of connect connectivity between these three family members. Wow. So, so when you ask the question, there are times when their past incarnated versions of themselves are answering. Yeah, we we were yeah at, at different times we would be talking with the person physically you mm-hmm. know in, in this realm. We would also be talking to a uh, spirit form of that person. Also be in contact with a another another element of that spirit in the uh, spiritual realm. Hmm. Yeah, the the concept of spirit is a lot more complex than most people think. It's interesting. So 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 uh, so it. With that in mind, that would mean that I can be here in the present, and then there can be past selves and future selves doing different things. So it appears. Fascinating. Yeah, that again, that that happened several times. It's uh, it's not something we're, we're speculating on. It actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, and what we what we did during the course of the two years we were pulling off this investigation was uh, we repeated certain questions and aspects. Um, several times with different people holding the pendulum and with differing um, mediums present just to see if to make sure that the information we're getting is as accurate as it can possibly be. And the information in the book uh, has been vetted many, many times in multiple sessions with multiple individuals and it's, uh, it's consistent. Mm-hmm. So why do these spirits or what, like, Oh, it's two questions actually. One, why did this? Why did Lindsay make this agreement with this higher entity? And for what purpose? The purpose, uh, as best we could determine, was <clears throat> this was a long-term. Uh, I'll use the word project rather than experiment because it wasn't an experiment per se. That Lindsay would be involved with with a specified team of what we would call extraterrestrials who would be following her various incarnations over a long period of time. And the end result or the the benefit of the study or the project apparently was going to be a benefit to homo sapiens uh, to have a longer normal lifespan and to greatly enhance the sixth sense that has been largely lost or mostly dormant for many thousands of years. And there would also be benefit to the, um, I'll say the word ETs, uh, who were involved in this. They would also be getting some sort of benefit from the long-term process. Yeah, we suspect, we don't know, but we suspect that uh, the Lindsay case is not unique. I imagine this is going on with a lot of different people, mm-hmm. probably around the world. I, I can't see this as being an isolated incident. No. No, I don't think so. It certainly jives a little bit with what I've heard from other experiencers as well is about part of their purpose being to help human beings remember some of our past abilities, primarily one of the uses of telepathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, during this time frame, <clears throat> uh, Dan and I both went over to... Uh, a place called Poverty Point. It's a World Heritage Site in Northeast Louisiana. <laughs> it, it, it looks. It kind of looks like Atlantis, right? Um, <laughs> Is there, it has, major, has the concentrical rings and uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. The, the octagonal rings, the mounds where they built the houses, 
of a remarkable place, absolutely fabulous and very, very old. Mm -hmm. uh, archaeologists really don't know who the inhabitants were. There's no burials there. Uh, and so there's a lot of speculation. But in our pendulum sessions at Poverty Point, uh, we came across an entity who was living there 4,000 years ago. And by process of elimination, well, were you a farmer? No. Were you a hunter? No. Uh, were you uh, a fisherman? No. Uh, did you have a special skill set that benefited the community? Yes. And we asked uh, about that skill set and determined that uh, the individual is what we would loosely translate as a medicine man or a shaman, that uh, he was sort of a go-between people at Poverty Point and the sky people. And that really got our attention. Uh, so whatever was going on at Poverty Point at the time, there was a, uh, <clears throat> a presence <clears throat> known as the sky people who were actively involved in some form or fashion. <clears throat> and we also learned, we call this, we call this uh, character Jocko, uh, he agreed to be, we call that, that uh, Lindsay, as a male, was present at that time as an apprentice to Jocko. So Lindsay apparently was being trained by this very highly skilled medicine man, and much of this was sixth sense uh, type training. Uh, and had, Lindsay had contact with the, uh, sky people. So that, uh, that may have been <coughs> one of the reasons that, uh, Lindsay has, if you will, uh, inklings of psychic development. Hmm. Poverty Point is one of those places that has always, I've never been there, but I've read about it and I've seen pictures of it. It's mm -hmm. fascinated me because one, a lot of people don't know about it, which which blows my mind. Like, I would think that everybody would know about that place. Oh. And the other thing is, like, when I look at pictures of Poverty Point and compare <laughs> what I'm seeing to uh, another place that's not really talked about a lot, which is the Eye of Africa, they look very similar to me. Well, Poverty Point is uh, extremely ancient. It's one of the uh, one of the largest landforms you know in uh, in the ancient ancient world it's, it's quite a quite a place to visit hmm. you know, they uh, they traded you know up to, as far as canada and as far south as central uh, central america it, right. it was uh, it was an amazing place at the time yeah poverty point uh had it's, it's just a high ridge in, in basically mississippi river wetlands so they had access to the, the Mississippi River way back when. That's it was a it was a very prominent trading center. Yeah, one of the things that anyway, my, I have my own theory about Poverty Point and I have Africa in Atlantis because they all have like a similar similar architecture to what Plato described as Atlantis. And also one of the stories about Atlantis is it wasn't a single place that it was like ten different hubs around the world. That, that, that incorporated this entire mm -hmm. trading route. And I wonder sometimes, like, if Poverty Point is related to that story. No, very well could be. Hmm. We, we did not explore Poverty Point, uh, itself. We were following the, you know, the, yeah. the Lindsay Higgins angle. So we, we really didn't get into the history. That's interesting. You know, one thing that Dan and I worked very hard at was staying focused on this is about Lindsay Higgins. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the information was just going all over the place. So tell me, so, so 
Well, if Lindsay Higgins' story started, you said, 8,000 years ago. At 8,000 years ago, what, what kind of civilization was Lindsay Higgins living in as a human incarnation? We didn't get any information on that. The most we had was just that time 6,000 years ago when the agreement was made. Six, oh, sorry. And it was a plane other than the plane where the dearly departed go. That's, all, that's the information we get. We didn't track uh, any other physical encounters of, with Lindsay. Mm -hmm. now, I guess try and stay focused on the contemporary story. Um, it wouldn't be, it, we may still do that, but it, it would have been inappropriate uh, at, for this particular book. Right. Um, when you when you did the question and answer sessions, like what type of other information did you find out? One of the things I'm always curious about is the extraterrestrials. Are they multidimensional? Are they spirits? Are they just consciousness? Are they thought forms? Or do they actually use physical technology? Or is it yes, all of the yes, above? Yes, yes, yes. All of the above. Yes, all of the above. Uh, our two mediums who worked with us, um, there were two occasions where uh, we asked, uh, we were pendulum dowsing and we were communicating with the entity that uh, allowed us to call him or her, whatever, ET. So we were communicating with ET and asked that ET uh, present uh, himself uh, in, in a fashion that uh, the mediums you know, they, they could pick up. And I'm going to pass it over to you, Dan, for the Mike Wood Park moment with Laura. Well, we had an interesting session. There was uh, George and I, uh, another dowser and uh, a medium. And we uh, we were contacted by this the higher higher spiritual uh, entity that I, I told you about. Uh, I don't want to say angel, but somebody of uh, we would consider of angelic nature uh, appeared. Um I'm not a medium, so I don't I don't see see or hear or, or experience. My my talent is the pendulum. But uh, Laura and I, are, uh, our medium, could see uh, something she described as uh, a purple entity, more of a, a haze or a light, something like that. But uh, we know the experience is real because even though I couldn't I couldn't see, I could certainly feel the feel the the, uh, the presence of the spirit. Both Laura and I looked at each other and, you know, we're getting, are you feeling that? I'm feeling that. We were both virtually overwhelmed by a sense of uh, what Lauren called uh, mother love. And, uh, yeah, George will tell you, I'm not an emotional type guy, but I was overpowered by the, the amount of love beaming from the center of our little circle there. And in fact, if you listen to the, uh, the if you read the transcript or listen to the audio version, uh, recording of it, mm -hmm. you hear me saying, I'm I'm tearing up. I am tearing up. Wow. So that you know, that's if you want validation, you know, you don't you don't get emotion like that out of the blue, out of nowhere. That's got to come from something. So. Yeah, and there was a, a session with the the other evidential medium uh, uh, where I asked what what are you perceiving with with ET, and what she was describing was highly highly evolved. Uh, entities, uh, they don't have need for a physical body unless they're going to do something in a three-dimensional realm and would need some sort of uh, form to do that. But very, very evolved. Um, pretty much um, travel where they go just by thinking to be there, that type thing. Uh, not your not your typical description of what would be an extraterrestrial 
in the common parlance. Uh, on a number of occasions, Dan and I did query E.T. that if for whatever reason uh, he was to take on a three-dimensional form, what would we perceive? And he described what is commonly uh, referred to as a Nordic, that is a very tall, um, light skin, long blonde hair, very large blue eyes. Uh, and, and on a number of occasions, that's uh, the way uh, it was. we described what he would look like if, in, if indeed he took on a 3D form. I think the idea is they would appear in whatever form that would be comfortable for us to perceive. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the impression we get. So we could be interacting with ETs that look exactly like us, that are manifesting out of consciousness and not even know it. Uh-huh. Yep. So it's possible that not everybody here is human. I, oh. think, it's, I think it's likely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all look the same. However... Yeah, uh, one of the, uh, we're doing some research into the mm -hmm. sky people, and I've been doing some work out, uh, you know, I live out in uh, uh, Cliff, Cliff Dweller Heaven out here in the West, and I've been uh, speaking with some of the, uh, the spirits of some of the people at some of the dwellings, and uh, so far, and this is early research, but so far, the entities that they have encountered out here in my, in my limited research has been the Nordic type, and they didn't think of them as gods or spiritual people they thought of them as people who came down from the sky they were they were different but they were human beings and they had no trouble uh, no fear or anything like that but their appearance was you know human-like hmm. was there any mention in this story about these extraterrestrials being a part of human civilization in the past, such as like what they talk about on ancient aliens. Not specific to the Lindsay story, but in other research, um, that is certainly uh, shaping up as the case. The, the, the involvement has, has been on literally since day one. Right. That's what I would suspect also. Mm-hmm. So, so you think, is it, if that's the case, then, then they had a hand in our development. Yeah, and that would depend on which day you're talking about. Because mm -hmm. we're yeah, we interacting with a lot of different, lot of different uh, entities. We're dealing with spiritual entities. We're also dealing with, with ETs. Uh, we're also dealing with uh, different types of ETs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, as, as we proceeded... Gary, it was uh, really remarkable just how everything just kind of kept coming together in almost a perfect order, just unfolding, click, 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 click. And it turns out that uh, uh, there was a reason for that. Um, during the course of the um, two years that we looked into this, um, well, gosh, it was in winter, December, I think, 20, 2019 or 2020. Um, it was my routine to, I'm an early riser generally, and I'd get up and to walk from my house down to the Mike Wood Park uh, in Bossier City, which is adjacent to the runway at Barksdale Air Force Base. <clears throat> walk around the park and come back. It's a good uh, three-mile walk, good way to start the day. So one morning, uh, right at dawn, was 
walking down to the park and uh, the baseball field uh, was just covered with a really heavy frost and it was really sparkly and I thought oh, that's kind of pretty so I took my iPhone made a picture of it uh, put it on Facebook as a scene on this morning stroll type thing and got a lot of responses from people say oh what a what a nice little winter scene George but what's with the uh, blue tennis ball I said what yeah. I went back and looked at the picture and I had overlooked it entirely but uh, no question about it. There's a dark blue sphere uh, just kind of hovering above the, the frost there. And I, I said, okay, I, I didn't see anything like that. So I just kind of tossed it off as a lens flare. But uh, a couple of days later, when I was taking another walk about the same time, I said, well, let me just stop at this exact same spot and replicate the photograph. So I took another picture. And sure enough, there was an orb in it. Well, okay, uh, that's that's probably that that's probably not a lens flare. So that kind of kept going on for several morning walks. Again, I'm, I'm collecting several photographs of orbs, and so I say, okay, wait a minute, there's 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 something here. So I send them off to Dan and say, Dan, get your pendulum and what do you make of this? And Dan came back with, uh, well, the orb is a spirit. It is a spirit known to you, but not in this lifetime. And I said, okay, <laughs> uh, what do we do with that? Well, I don't have a, a history of previous incarnations. I, don't, I really don't pursue that. Um, but I had a just an impulse to, well, not in this lifetime. And what might that be? So I started looking for 19th century American actresses. And one name kept popping up in my internet searches, and that was Kate Bateman. The Bateman is a theatrical family. She was born into it in Baltimore in 1841. And according to reviews and other newspaper accounts through the, through the 19th century, she was very active as a child star and very, very prominent in, as a young, young 20s uh, actress. She, I came across a review of her as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet at the St. Charles Theater in New Orleans in December of 1860. Uh, she eventually married an Englishman and relocated to England, where she was very prominent on the London stage. Uh, but at any rate, uh, in some fashion, our paths had crossed. So uh, Kate, um, Kate was presenting herself as a blue sparkly orb. We have a picture of it in the book. Mm -hmm. And Dan was again taking the pendulum and we're looking looking at Kate Bateman every possible angle. Um, seems to be legit. Had a special session uh, with Colleen specifically. Uh, what is, is is this Kate? And does she have something to say? And Colleen just gave a fabulous description of of Kate and that. Uh, Kate's very involved in this and that uh, all of us who are in this particular project are, are very well known to each other. And apparently we have a history of similar type investigations, you know, going back through centuries, centuries, centuries. Um, so what uh, the takeaway from this was Kate is very involved with Lindsay and uh, Colleen used the phrase overlay. Kate's overlaid with Lindsay. So everything that Lindsay's been experiencing, Kate is very aware of. And uh, 
I, I we have a chapter in the book called The Stage Manager, and that's the story that I'm summarizing now. It's about uh, the, the, the assistance we had from the spirit of Kate Bateman in putting all this together. I think that's where the little whisper in Lindsay's ear came from. Now's the time to do this. Um, brought together Dan and I for working on his uh, paranormal pendulum books, getting uh, learning a good technique to investigate the Lindsay situation and so on and so on. So um, that was a, it was refreshing to know that we had uh, that kind of assistance on that realm, in addition to the assistance from ET. So uh, there was a lot of interest in this story and getting the story out. Hmm. How do you differentiate, you know, the difference between a human spirit and ET spirit versus like an angelic spirit? Do you just simply ask them with the pendulum and they give you an answer? And how do you know if they're telling you the truth? Well, generally, yeah. You, uh, in the case of the angelic, uh, the highly evolved spiritual person, uh, we felt it. Uh, there was emotion. There's no denying that. There was no no denying that whatsoever. You felt it. In the other, other examples, you just ask. Uh, in my experience, talking with the ETs or talking with the, the spirits, it's the same process. You ask yes or no questions. As far as uh, are they telling you the truth, it's, it's like any other interview, you know, or Dan and George telling you the truth. The only way to find out is to get the answers and then research the answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, our researches were, uh, were, were validated time and time and time mm-hmm. again by other people. And we had a uh, had a local historian working with one of the local museums with us back in Shreveport. And we would, George and I would come up with something and he would jump into the old records and the next day he would come out with, uh, you know, validation of what we had come up through the pendulum. Hmm. But um, it's not to say that, you know, if somebody's a liar on this side, they won't be a liar on the other side. Yeah. But many, many of the uh, spirits we were working with were known to Lindsay. Well, a lot of material came from her favorite aunt, Aunt Belle, um, who just provided all sorts of information about Lindsay when Lindsay was growing up um, in the land next to where Aunt Belle was. So she was, uh, and then Lindsay was very eager and, uh, and able to really identify that particular presence. And same thing for some other uh, spirits that were related to her. So uh, whenever possible, we'll try to corroborate the identity of the individual through whatever means. And very often we do get something either through a newspaper account or some other um, impression or bit of information from one of our other team members. I can give you a good example of, of uh, unexpected validation. Uh, George and I had a session, an afternoon session with someone. And so that morning we were kicking around and pretty much just decided, let's, let's just have a session and see who shows up. So we had, you know, brought out our pendulums, asked if there's any spirit who would like to show up, would you please show up? And someone did. And we did an interview. And the information we gleaned from that that interview was that the spirit had come to us for help. He was a member of a good Catholic family. He had been depressed uh, in in his in his latter days, uh, in recent recent history, last last decades or two. He had been depressed. He had died. He was an electrician. He had died on the job. He was very concerned that his family, because they were a good Catholic family, were worried about his soul because they were afraid he committed suicide. 
and he wanted us to help him tell his family that no, it wasn't suicide; it was an accidental death. Uh, you know, he was, he was electrocuted on the job. So George and I said, "Well, okay, we'll we'll do what we can." So that afternoon, we had a session with someone, and just before before the session began, we were just kind of kicking around what we had done the day before, and we described this incident with the electrician, and the uh, young lady we were we were talking to just kind of sat back and went. That's my cousin. That's my cousin. Her, her cousin was an electrician. He had died on the job. The family was afraid because he was so depressed that uh, you know, he had committed suicide. So he somehow he knew we were going to meet with her that afternoon. He came through to us, gave us the information, and it was validated that, that very afternoon. Hmm. It's amazing. That is absolutely incredible when you can validate the information that you're receiving through a pendulum like that. Mm -hmm. Um, When you deal with these spirits, do do you find that most of the spirits are are benevolent spirits? Because I get usually two types of guests. One one, one grouping of guests is that spirits and ETs are demonic and have nefarious (laughs) intentions. And then the other group of people is finding that his ETs and angels are benevolent and are here to help humanity. And then there's people that believe both, that there's sort of like this war that's going on, like that's portrayed in the Bible. There, there are, there's positive and there's negative in the, uh, in the universe, and I think basically you get what you're looking for. George and I have never had a negative experience, and in all my research, Going back, you know, nearly 20 years, I've never had a negative research. In fact, the only time I ever got what they've called, you would call a get out type experience was when I was uh, very deep in an old abandoned mine back in uh, southern Arizona. And I think the, the message was not uh, not demonic or angry. It was just like, you know, you better get out of here. You're not in a safe environment. Mm. This thing could collapse any any moment. So, we, you know. We don't look for negative experiences. We look for positive experiences. And so far, every experience we've had has been positive. I would say many of them uh, uplifting. And and, uh, we're not doing this for entertainment, okay? Uh, We're we're specific in this, using this this particular tool uh, to, to uncover what was going on, in this case, with Lindsay Higgins. Um, so we're not, you know, okay, let's have a little session and see who shows up, you know, well, that's not really it. Um, but, um, we do treat it if we have contact, uh, as if we are going to that person's house and we have to extend the same courtesy we would anybody we were having a conversation with that we weren't necessarily well acquainted, but we certainly want to be more acquainted. Uh, I think just that approach, uh, kind of sets the tenor for uh, the information that's gleaned and uh, whether or not it's a, a good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we go into a, what people would call a haunted house, or you know, uh, we like to take the attitude that even though it may be a haunted house, it's still somebody's house. Right. You're in somebody. You're in somebody else's space. Mm-hmm. So you should extend you know, all the, the proper courtesy and respect that you would do to someone who is physically alive. And that's you know I think that's one of the reasons we get such positive response. Yeah, and it, it's 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 a belief system. If you expect demons, you're going to get demons. Right. Um, 
let me give a little illustration for that. Uh, one of our very early sessions before we even started the, the pendulum series uh, was in the literal basement of the Spring Street Museum in Shreveport. That's the city museum of Shreveport. And we're in the basement because that's where the offices are. And Dan was uh, conducting a, a session with one of the founders of the building that the Spring Street Museum is. And uh, the museum curator was present. I was there. And seated on the steps going up to the uh, first floor was a, another colleague of ours uh, who worked at the museum at that time. Uh, and she had, some, she had some talents. But uh, at one point, uh, we're con conversing with the pendulum with uh, this gentleman. And then the, um, the lady goes, oh, something had brushed her hair. You know, just real, real, you know, that kind of response. Mm -hmm. And, well, we asked, well, okay, uh, did you do that? Yes. Were you flirting with her? Yes. <laughs> so it was it was a, a tangible sensation that was brought on by the individual. Now, if her belief system was such that, oh, we're doing something spooky, then it would have been the demon that touched her, as opposed to this rather charming uh, fellow. We had another interesting experience mm -hmm. in the museum. Uh, the, the upper floor is, uh, re is, is decorated like a, oh, like a very uh, upscale house. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. Uh, you know, they've got furniture and rugs and uh, decorations and everything. Victorian yeah, style. Yeah, very well done. And we were up there, and the, the, the lady George was just talking about was talking with, uh, we were talking with a female spirit who had, you know, uh, who had been there in, uh, in the day. And uh, our friend said, uh, you know, uh, we really, you know, we, we've done our best to to, uh, to to replicate this area. We've done our best to make it as beautiful as possible. Uh, we, you know, we've done it out of respect for you guys. And she went on and on and on. And in the recording, uh, you know, George and I recording because we're going to transcribe it for the book. But in the recording, as soon as she stopped speaking, you hear a distinctive female voice say, thank you. Hmm. And it was you know, uh, the lady that we're with was the only one physically in the room, and it was an entirely different voice. So you got a really good EVP. Yeah, we had, we had yeah we had several. So that's another form of validation. We don't go hunting EVP, yeah. but they do show up. Hmm. And yeah, one particular EVP uh, came out of a session at Spring Street Museum. In fact, it might have been the same day, Dan. Uh, well, we were trying to get information about uh, the WD Woodwork family in particular uh, his wife eugenia uh who at that time we were speculating that may have been Lindsay's previous incarnation as the wife later turned out to be the daughter but in the course of uh, that series of questions of course it's being recorded that evening dan and i are back over here at the house and listening to the recording see how it's going and then boom there is a very strong class a evp Lindsay is key. And whoa, we went back and listened to that half a dozen times and there's nothing imaginable about it. Lindsay is key. Um, now the rest of the story is when Dan went back to Arizona and was transcribing that particular session, um, there was no EVP. There was no Lindsay is key on the recording. That's strange. I've never heard that before. Well, that was a first for us, too. 
so of course we have a session with our most jovial character wd woodworth that's mm-hmm. is up that yeah he put it down and he took it out why just to demonstrate i think some of the things that they can do on that side uh, we know that they can manipulate heavy objects that's what lindsay's childhood spirit did he opened up a very heavy uh, double hung window so she could <clears throat> step out of her room onto the balcony of the restaurant her family was running at the time of course that scared the hell out of everybody sure but uh, there's no way little lindsay's going to raise that that window and there's nobody else on the second floor at that time who would do that so it's a demonstration that yes they can manipulate physical objects yeah, one of the benefits of uh, pendulum dowsing for spirit contact is you're not stuck with just hoping that you get an EVP. You're hoping that you get a single knock on the on the on the side of the wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. With pendulum dowsing techniques, you can have extended conversations, and I mean literal conversations with uh, with the departed. A lot of our conversations went on for ten or fifteen minutes, mm. simply because we had the the tool available to to make it happen. Yeah, and in some of the group sessions, I mean, we, we would carry on a conversation, usually with just one individual for, you know, an hour. You know, it, just, it, it can get very lively, very lively. Hmm. I think part of that is because the uh, the subconscious is so intricately involved, you're, you're essentially talking with uh, spirit to spirit, so to speak. And it, I think it's much easier on the uh, those on the other side because they don't have to expend as much energy. Right, it just kind of uses us sort of as the the medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Interesting. Um. So, what I mean, you, you you've mentioned that the main primary message that she was trying to convey to humanity is to wake up our third eye, essentially, or to reawaken our consciousness. Is there a reason why that is what they want us to do? And how is that going to benefit us? Um, my speculation on that is, one, if, if Homo sapiens on planet Earth had a general lifespan of, say, 150 years, that would dramatically change our involvement with the planet. If we got a much heightened sense of sixth sense and communication with the other realms, uh, just think how that enhances the life experience. Uh, so it would be uh, a transformative situation uh, if that is indeed uh, what the, the the end goal is. Uh, so I can I can easily see a lot of really good things coming out of out of those two developments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things Lindsay is doing, or one of the purposes behind this, is to reawaken people with their psychic abilities. I, you know, I believe everybody is psychic. Absolutely. Uh, most people ignore it. A lot of people are afraid of it, and people yeah. like George and I explore it. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that she is, uh, one of the, the the things she is tasked with doing, is to let people know, yeah, you are, you are psychic. You do have psychic abilities. Yes, there are ETs out there. You can contact the ETs. Yes, there are ways to improve your life, and there are ways to, you know, bit by bit improve the lives of those around you. And one of the reasons Lindsay went ahead and decided just to do this uh, was one, get it off, <clears throat> stop suppressing it, 
but it got the word out all across the country because a lot of people apparently watched that Netflix episode. And she started getting calls from just all over the place from people who had been stuffing, if you will, their own experience or encounter, not having any outlets or anybody to talk to. So uh, she's had a lot of uh, contact with folks who were very delighted to hear her story and greatly relieved uh, to, to hear that and to be able to tell their own. So there's a lot of relief going on in this, um, including some physical issues with Lindsay all of her life uh, from childhood up to, well, still continues to an extent. Uh, but she had intense abdominal pains that were inexplicable. And even after being admitted to a hospital at, you know, say eight, nine, 10 years old and going through two days of every possible test to find out what on earth's going on, uh, there's no diagnosis. There's no explanation for the pain that Lindsay uh, continually experiences. And the best the physicians could come up with is, well, since her mother was dying of cancer, Lindsay's just doing this to get attention. And of course, that's ludicrous. Um, but as a part of this two-year process, um, we learned that some of the the ET team members who work regularly with Lindsay through the through the eons were not necessarily aware that some of the procedures that they were doing caused her discomfort. And that was, they just simply weren't aware of it. And there was uh, an opportunity when Lindsay um, realized that I agreed to this. Okay, if I agree to something, I'm going to do it. Okay, so this is going to continue. All right, fine, I agree. But I would ask that from this point on, when we do have a visitation, that there not be any pain or discomfort associated with it. And they agreed. And she has had uh, at least one known uh, visitation since we finished the uh, uh, the project. And I mean, she had some marks on her body that's, that's uh, they often do just to let you know we were here, uh, but there was no associated uh, pain. So that uh, another aspect of the relief of this particular project. Hmm. Why do you think they want to help extend human lifespans? I think the world would be a really great place if uh, Nikola Tesla had lived to 150. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. That's that's just the impression we're getting. And uh, there's a the more evolved we become as Homo sapiens, we can better do our work here in this particular plane. I think that's got something to do with it. And I think the sixth synth evolution is a part of that. So um, we'll be thinking and doing things a lot differently than we are presently. And I think that will, that, that will of course benefit everybody and everything. Is the sixth sense something that we had access before to before and lost and now we're trying to regain it back? I think so. I think mm-hmm. it goes back to, uh, back to the earliest earliest forms of mankind i think that's part of how we survived you know back in the days of uh, the, the caveman and beyond we had a habit to survive yeah they were much more telepathic uh, I think there's, and there's a lot of cultural history where they had readily communication with the ancestors and that was probably um a form of sixth sense telepathy with other uh other loved ones working on a little higher vibration, but I think it has also 
um, been squashed because if you don't want that competition and you get some control freaks, well, you no, 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 this is, we got to limit your experience that the stuff that we can control. So I think some of that mischief's in there too through the years. Hmm. So, yeah, so you, you think, know, oh, go ahead. I'm just saying, you know, as children, you know, children are obviously more, more in tune with the psychic world than, than adults. And I think it's, uh, you know, the culture drives that out of you, you know, you're not, you're not seeing things, you're not hearing things, you're not experiencing things, you know. It's just your imagination. Yeah, by the time you're five years old, you know, your, your innate psychic abilities have been tamped down. Why do you think we do that? Like, what, what, when do you think that actually, do you guys have any idea of why? I mean, belief my system. guess, my guess is probably religion. Belief system. Belief systems. Definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, if you believe anything of that nature is going to be the work of the devil, hmm. then you're not going to be able to entertain a broader, more evolved concept. I mean, that belief system will not allow it. Well, see, belief system is also comfortable because your world is in a very small, very contained, very well-defined box. And once you start experimenting with uh, <laughs> With the psychic abilities, you discover that that little box is very little, very tiny indeed, and there's a whole great, big, enormous, complex universe out there, and that scares people. But I think it really enhances the life experience. <laughs> yeah, we, George and I were joking. We have friends who are, you know, college-educated, university-trained people, very good minds. But if, uh, if for example, they saw a a UFO craft land in their driveway, they would see a Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's not a spaceship. That's not a flying saucer. I know what that is. That's, that's a Volkswagen. Some people just can't handle it. That That's true. I guess some, you have to be open to the experience in order to have it and be able to Maybe not understand it, but just to, you just have to be, if you're, the more open you are, the more likely you are to have these experiences. And when you were talking about Lindsay, um, you know, making these contacts, one of the things that I was thinking about too is sort of like how, um, you know, the CE5 thing works and how people are <laughs> using that to, to make contact. And is she associated with, uh, you know, Greer's work in any way? Or well, she's flying soul. She isn't, <laughs> but the authors are. <laughs> <laughs> the well, authors seriously. Are? Yeah, seriously. Uh, both Dan and I, uh, towards the end of the research period, um, each had some rather profound occurrences. Dan, why don't you pick it up with your CE5? Well, we, uh, we uh, George and I, uh, we're, we're reading, again, Dr. Greer's uh technique fascinates us so we were discussing that so we decided to try it this has been some time ago and uh, in my case uh, I'm out by myself camping and hiking a lot I'm uh, I'm pretty much a loner so I'm often out uh, you know 100 miles from civilization in the middle of nowhere <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I've been all my life going okay ETs here I am nobody will notice you can come on down now <laughs> so with the, with the Greer technique uh, you can actually do that. And that, as I understand it, basically, that involves uh, in you know, meditation, mm -hmm. meditation on contact, then sitting out and basically um, 
uh, involving telepathy, where you send out basically friendship messages. You know, I, I'm here. I'm uh, I love I love everybody. Love and friendship. Love and healing. And that apparently draws in the some of the ETs. Now, so far, I've, I've uh, I'm four for four on that on on temperatures, and uh, I don't count blips in the sky or something like that. I'm talking about really dramatic, undeniable. Well, that's unusual flying in the sky thing there type experiences. Uh, it, it does work. I, I've tried it too work, and yeah. gotten results. Yeah. I mean, I didn't use his version of it. I used one that was taught to me by Preston Dennett, and mm-hmm. it definitely worked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one example, I was up uh, up in Utah camping, and I was out uh, on, a, on a long point in the, in the Navajo reservation area. There was no town visible. There was no farm visible. There were no roads visible. There were no street lights, no road lights, nothing. Completely dark. Just absolutely gorgeous. I went through the grill, uh, grill routine. I meditated uh, deeply. Nothing happened. So I crawled into my cot. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I just popped wide awake. No, it was 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock in the morning, I just popped wide awake, sitting up in my, my sleeping bag and just get out. Stepped out. Over the reservation was a glowing uh, yellow orb the size of the moon. Now, the moon had set hours, hours and hours previously, mm-hmm. but there was this golden globe just hanging above the reservation. Again, wow. the size, shape, and color of a full moon. And, yeah, I watched it for, I don't know, probably a minute. And, you know, it did move. There was, it obviously, it was not in any kind of aircraft. It couldn't have been a satellite or anything like that. couldn't have been something projected from uh, the reservation because there was nothing out on the reservation. So I reached over to get my camera to, to hopefully take a picture of it, and that's when it went down. Hmm. But I saw it for, yeah, a minute, two minutes. That's, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's incredible how the common thread that ties all this unexplained phenomena together is consciousness. And what Dan was describing, obviously, was targeted. And mm-hmm. um, I had a most interesting uh, confirmation of what we were doing. Uh, in fact, I'll give you the dates, December 28, 2020, 7 a.m. Central Time. Um I had been processing a lot of the information that had been uncovered at that time. And we are talking extraterrestrials. We've got uh, mediums that are having impressions that are far beyond what we would ever have imagined about ETs and the, the whole Lindsay story and all of these elements and then the, the Kate factor. I mean, my gosh, uh, uh, is this is this for real? <laughs> um, so uh, 7 a.m. I'm pop up, walk into the living room, open up the blinds to let the soon-to-rise sunlight in and look across the street. And hovering above my neighbor's house is a 20-foot diameter yellow-orangish sphere. And I'm just, whoa, I'm just staring at that thing because it's there and it's not going anywhere. So I noticed that the circumference of the sphere is not hard edged. It's uh, <clears throat> kind of got a shimmer to it, like a painter might feather, feather a painting. Uh, so there was some activity and energy around the, the circumference. And I looked down and there's a, the street light below it. It's got a light pollution bulb in it. So it cast out a similar yellow, orangish type light. Right. 
looking past it out in the distance, you can see the first pre-dawn streaks of light out in the east. And so, okay. So I'm taking several minutes and just studying the hell out of this thing. And then I decide to go do something. Now, what on earth would George decide to go do? Take a picture, I hope. Uh, no, go feed the cats. <laughs> Got a couple of porch kitties out back. Time to feed the cats, by golly. Go get a cup of coffee, walk past through the den, look out the window, it's gone, and then click. Whoa. I get it. Uh, have you come across the term alien apathy? No. Okay, that's that's a term that's usually associated with someone who has an encounter. Mm -hmm. And the way that they respond to it is out of character or totally different from what they would expect or someone would expect in part of them. And, of course, that's what I get. And then I realized that I was getting some serious information here. One because the sphere, I mean, it wasn't something faded in. We wasn't, no, it was there and it didn't go anywhere. And I looked at it for a considerable length of time. But then I also had the decision not to go outside and look at it, not to take a picture of it with the impression being, you're being allowed to see this and study it. And it's a demonstration, but you can't approach it. And we're not gonna let you take a picture of it. And that's when I understood the real subtle, delicate way that communication can take place. Because uh, once once I walked by the window and I saw that it was gone, it dawned on me. I didn't go outside. I didn't take a picture of this thing. It never occurred to me during that little time frame. And <clears throat> later that evening, when I was pondering and meditating on this um very real event, I mean, 7 a.m., I mean, that rules out 99% of other variables, you know. Um, I got the phrase that this whole experience was a diplomatic reveal. And that really said a lot. It was, I think it was the way of presenting to me to pass on to Dan and the others that, yes, the information you're getting is true and accurate, Yes, we are working very closely with you on this project. Yes, we very much would like this information to get out. And by the way, here's a little taste of how we communicate. And I also had the feeling that this was also very targeted. It was specific to me. And that kind of clicked some memories of the people I was interviewing uh, back in the early 1990s that very often they would describe whatever occurred or whatever the event was as being special for them. Now I understand what they were referencing. At the time I was, I don't know. <clears throat> now I understand that. So um, that was a pretty strong statement. And uh, I pretty much did away with any of my doubts about, okay, yeah, this is genuine. This is real. This is the real thing. Hmm. So, so it sounds you know, I, I've heard also heard this similar stories, also, um, and one of the theories that 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 I kind of agree with is that you know you always hear now about the topic of disclosure. You know, disclosure is not going. You know, we all know that disclosure is not going to happen through the government or the scientific community. No. But 
It does seem to be happening through the extraterrestrials themselves with communicating with us as individuals, and it seems to be more of a spiritual thing rather than a technological thing. I'm with you 100% on that. Yeah, that's uh, again, that's the, that's the focus behind uh, behind. I, th I think that's the focus behind getting George and me together with Lindsay. And that's definitely the focus behind the book. Uh, Lindsay's out there now like a beacon of light, going to uh, all those people who are having these experiences but who are afraid to speak up about it. She's out there saying, "Hey, it's okay. You're not alone. This has happened to a lot of people. It's happened to me. I know. I know what you're going through. Come on out and talk about it. You know, share share your story." And, you know, in terms of disclosure, that's how it's going to get out. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Yeah, it'll just, it'll just be level. undeniable because so many people are, are openly, are not only involved in it, but who are openly admitting to be involved with it. Mm hmm True. Um, so I want to thank you guys for coming on. It's been a pleasure oh, talking you. with you. Oh, and I just want to double check. Is there anything that I missed that you guys wanted to talk about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I would just say, uh, uh, in in terms of uh, kicking it to pendulum dowsing, it, that's a if people are interested in that, it's a technique that can be picked up in in no time at all. Uh, you have to practice it to master it, but it is a great way to uh, make contact uh, with uh, with positive entities on the other side. I, I agree. I, I, I've been doing it too for about 20 years. I've been, yeah. you know, I read tarot cards and do other things also, but I also have pendulums lying around because they're helpful for, um, you can, you can, you can use a pendulum anywhere at any time. Unlike some other tools where either you have to get yourself into a meditative state, state or you have to use a, a whole table and it takes a bunch of time with a pendulum. Boom. You just, Pull it out and you get an answer. Yeah, and uh, even though Dan and I went to Poverty Point to uh, hold the sessions with the pendulum, that was totally unnecessary. We could have had a conversation with Jacques Poe, you know, here in Shreveport or out in Mesa, Arizona, where Dan is. Mm -hmm. But by going to Poverty Point, I think <clears throat> that made us more receptive to what's there historically and probably made us a little better questioners and better interpreters of the information that was provided. So yeah, also I think uh, on the other side they uh, certainly job codes position. I think they appreciate the effort of us going out to the location. Yeah, you know, we've made an effort to to communicate with them. Yeah. I think that's appreciated. Yeah, it's definitely on my uh, list of places to go. That is. For oh, sure. you got to go. Oh yeah. Fantastic. So I'll put it um, in the in notes of this episode. I'll put the links to your books and. To your website in the notes, so my listeners can find you. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure having you guys on, and Good you're welcome on. back anytime. We'll keep you in the loop. Thanks, <laughs> and uh, it was great. And just hang on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro.
t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on film that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined.